Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word tonight, and I pray, Lord, that we would all be just receptive to what you want to minister to our hearts. Lord, as we look at the consequences of hidden sin, Lord, I pray that for each one of us, Lord, that this would be a time that we examine our own hearts. Lord, there's areas of our lives, Lord, where we have just uh, compartmentalized and set them aside, and we just feel like it's a part of my life we can't, our lives we can't give up. Lord, I pray that tonight we'd be exhorted through your word, Lord, to set aside everything that gets in the way of our relationship with you, even those sins that maybe nobody else knows about. And Father, we know that you know. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that this would just be a time of ministering to us, encouraging us from your word, and Lord, exhorting us to be transformed through it. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to do a little review, but real quick, I did want to say, junior high camp, I got a call from Vince, and they're having an awesome time. Um, I talked to my son Johnny as well, and it's just a blessing just to hear already in just a couple days, um, our kids, just the lives are being touched. Um, I was blessed. My son Johnny did the first devotion, and he taught Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus. I was pretty, I was pretty excited about that. But then uh, Earl, Earl taught one time, and it's just neat to hear that they're, they're hanging out for afterglows for an hour and a half after services are over, that a bunch of the kids have already gone forward to be prayed for, that they all went aside after the last session and sat out on the grass, and Tyler Fugition led them in another half hour of worship, and every one of the kids led out in prayer. And so I'm just blessed to hear what God's doing. Let's just keep praying for them, and then be praying for a high school group that's going to be going down here in about a, about a month or so. So pretty exciting stuff. Well, Leviticus 15. Some of you have read this chapter, have already come up to me and said, oh, Pastor Dave, this is rough, right? How are you going to teach this? Well, God showed me some great things in here, and we'll see those in a minute. But just to catch you up, I titled the message tonight, The Consequences of Hidden Sin. And in the first ten chapters of Leviticus, we saw how to worship the Lord through sacrifices, all of which point to Jesus Christ. Then chapters 11 through 15, it just talks about purification, being, the difference between being clean and unclean, between having a life that is acceptable before God and a life that is unacceptable. Then the last two weeks, we looked at the outward plague of leprosy. Now, leprosy, we know back in Jesus' day, or back here in Leviticus, 1,500 years before Jesus came, it was a death sentence. When somebody got leprosy, and I'm not going to go into the great detail because we already have and you can grab the tapes, but leprosy was, was highly contagious, it started under your skin, and then your skin would begin to, to show signs, and then they'd, you'd go before the priest, and if he looked at you and said you had leprosy, basically, you were a walking dead person. You would be banished away from the people. You could not have contact with people anymore. You couldn't be with your family anymore. You couldn't enter into fellowship anymore. You couldn't go into the temple anymore. And if somebody accidentally got close to you who did not have leprosy, you had to yell at the top of your lungs, unclean, unclean. So basically, it was a death sentence. And we saw in chapter 13 how to find out if someone has leprosy. And it talked about all the different ways to examine people. Then last week we looked at how when someone is cleansed of leprosy, the rituals that were supposed to take place. And we talked about the fact that there were a lot of people that were diagnosed with leprosy, but prior to Christ's coming, there was only one man that we know of that was ever cured of leprosy, and he was a Gentile, so he didn't even go present himself to the priest. So that whole chapter we looked at last week, Leviticus 14, for 1,500 years, it sat on a shelf, in a sense that nobody ever had a reason to go grab it and look at it and examine it, because nobody was ever cleansed of leprosy. But then we talked about last week how the cleansing of the leper, a typology or a picture of sin, that all of it pointed clearly to Jesus Christ. And again, not to belabor it, but 
real quickly, they, you were to take two sparrows, and we talked about how that pointed to Christ's humility because two sparrows could be purchased for a copper coin. You took cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And remember how we talked about the fact that the cedar wood points to what? The cross. And the scarlet is a picture of what? The blood of Christ. And the hyssop was the plant that was used to apply the blood at Passover over the door. And remember how we talked about the fact that just shedding the blood of the lamb was not enough. It had to be applied. And the same is true with us. The fact that Jesus Christ died is not enough for you. You still must apply it to your life. Amen? He died for all, but we still must accept him individually. And so last week we saw a real clear picture. Then it said that they were to take the the first bird and they killed it and they poured its blood into an earthen vessel. And an earthen vessel in the Bible always points to humanity, that Jesus Christ became flesh. And the water was mixed with blood, a picture of the, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the blood of Christ. And then that blood was taken and sprinkled seven times on the leper that had been made clean. Again, a picture of Christ's cleansing work upon the cross, seven, the number of completion. Then they took a living bird of the two birds, they killed one, the other one they dipped it in the blood, and then they let it go, a picture of the resurrection. So in the leprosy, we saw real clearly a picture of Christ. But what's interesting is that when someone had leprosy, everybody knew it. When, when someone had leprosy, there was no doubt. People looked for it, they ran from them. You couldn't hide the fact that you had leprosy. Now, tonight, we're going to see just the opposite. We're going to go from sins that are obvious to everybody to sins that are known by nobody. We're going to go from sins that the whole world sees, it's very apparent, And then there's those hidden sins in our lives that nobody else knows about, just God. And tonight we're going to kind of look at that and how God deals with it. But I wanted to give one last analogy before we go to chapter 15. How many of you have seen the movie Ben-Hur? Raise your hand. If you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. Great movie. If you haven't seen it in a while, watch it again. One of my favorite, if not my favorite movie of all time. And one of the reasons I love this movie so much, if you remember in the movie that the mother and sister of Ben-Hur get leprosy. Remember that? And they're banished to a leper colony. But, and, and the entire time their lives are forsaken and they're going to die and they have no hope. And if you remember what happens at the very end of the movie, Jesus is being crucified. And when he's being crucified, there's a huge storm, which is biblically accurate. And when the, when the storm comes up, it, the water washes across his body and, his, and the blood of Christ comes down and begins to form a puddle. Then that water goes into a, a little stream. And Ben-Hur has brought his mother and his sister out to see Jesus. They're going to see him, but now he's on the cross, and seemingly it's too late. But if you've seen the movie, you know what happens is that blood goes down and begins to form a puddle. It gets into a stream, and then it begins to flow. And literally, the, the women are hiding in a cave, and that water comes into the cave where they are. And as soon as the blood of Christ in that water touches their feet, what happens? Their leprosy went away. And I love that picture. Now, you know what's amazing to me? That was like, I think it was best picture the year that it came out. Have the movies changed a little bit, right? I mean, here's Jesus dying on the cross, the shed blood of Christ, taking away the leprosy, the sin of mankind, and now it's a joke what wins best picture. But awesome to me, that picture of leprosy, that outward change, and when those women were transformed, everybody knew it because that's what leprosy was. It was outward. Well, tonight we're going to look at inward sin. Leprosy, again, on the outside, it's easily identifiable. Now, I want to say this about Leviticus 15. It's not a chapter most people would teach. If you're going to teach the Bible, you probably aren't going to teach Leviticus if you're just bouncing around. And if you're going to teach Leviticus, you're not going to teach chapter 15. 
And chapter 15, I'm going to be honest with you, it's almost embarrassing. Some of the parts you're going to read, and you go, oh, man. But here's the thing. It's in the Bible for a reason. Amen? And if it's in the Bible, we're going to teach it at Calvary Chapel. Every word is from God. And I believe God showed me something awesome in this chapter. Again, our hidden sin, the things that nobody else knows about. God desires to deal with every one of us tonight. You know what? There may be a sin that nobody else knows about. God knows. He loves you. He's a God of grace and mercy. But He wants to deal with that hidden sin in your life and in my life tonight. So, leprosy, obvious. The disease emphasized tonight, unlike leprosy, is that is known to everybody, represents hidden or secret sins known only to the person who's infected. So the first 12 verses, we're going to see that when you have hidden or secret sin in your life, that it impacts everybody around you. You might think that nobody knows, it's not a big deal, but we're going to see tonight that that sin impacts everyone around you. Second of all, we'll see that we must be cleansed from that sin. We'll see our need for cleansing in the private aspects of life. We'll also see that we need cleansing in our marriages. And then we'll also take a look at the ultimate purpose of this law and the reason that it was given. And it was really given above all else to separate Israel from their uncleanness. And that's what the Word of God is supposed to do. The Word of God is supposed to drive sin far from us. It's been said that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Amen? You know, when you're blowing it and your life's a disaster, the last thing you want to do often is pick up the Bible, and the, and the thing you need to do is pick up the Word. And it's amazing to me, I have yet to have anybody come in for marriage counseling that their marriage is a disaster, and when I ask them this question, they say yes. Are you guys reading the Bible together? The answer is always no. You guys praying together? No. Well, it's amazing to me that people spend time in God's Word that they have a, an awesome marriage. When they spend time in prayer together, they have an awesome marriage. They have an awesome relationship. And so tonight we're going to look again at those, those sins that nobody sees and that our sins must be atoned for. And the Lord desires that we be holy because He is holy. So David said in Psalms, cleanse me from my secret faults. In Psalm 51, he said, behold your desire. You desire truth in the inward parts. God is not just looking for people with a reputation. A reputation is how you look when everybody's watching you. God is looking for men and women of character. Those, that's who you are when nobody's watching. Amen? When only God is watching, who are you? Who are you at home with just your wife? Who are you when you're driving in your car and nobody's with you? Who are you in your thought life when you're laying in bed at night or you sit in front of your computer when everybody else is asleep? That's character. Amen? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's begin in verse 1 looking at these hidden sins and how it impacts those around us. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. Now, I looked this up. It's amazing to me that everybody defined this discharge a different way. Some people said it was a staph infection. Some people even thought it, used the, the word that thought it was hemorrhoids or diarrhea. That's not what it is. And I know what it is because if you look it up in the original language, the word is gonorrhea. It's venereal disease. And the Lord says, if anybody has this, they're unclean. Now, the amazing part about this disease, this venereal disease that, these, that this man would have, he says, if he has this, he's unclean. For him to get this disease, what must he have done? What must he have done to get this disease? Commit adultery. Is that not true? Either he committed adultery or his wife committed adultery, but there was adultery in his relationship. And because of that uncleanness in him, it says he is now unclean. When he is unclean, that means he cannot fellowship. 
He cannot go to the temple to worship. He cannot uh, be touched by anybody, as we're going to see. And we're going to see that, well, this is a secret sin, and maybe he went out and he's not even married, and maybe he just had a relationship with somebody and nobody else knows. Or maybe, you know, his wife hasn't found out yet, and he's kept it from her, and, and he has this disease, and nobody else knows. But we're going to find that when we have this chronic case of sin in our own lives, that like this, this uh, disease that is highly painful and highly contagious, and as a result of, of infidelity, we know that it is a consequence of sin. And sin has consequences in our lives today. Amen? When we sin, there are consequences every time. And so often we try to, the devil tries to tell you that sin has no consequences. That's one of his most famous lies. Yeah, do whatever you want. God's grace, he's forgiven you. Haven't you ever heard that before? Right? He's forgiven you? Just, yeah, he died on the cross. It's okay, just do it. Right? I've heard that many times. That's what Satan says to us. Sin's not a big deal. I mean, you're going to heaven anyway, and you know you want to do it, so just do it. And then you do it, and you're convicted of your sin, and you repent, hopefully, right? Well, this is a sin that is heavy duty, it's got consequences, it's major. And it's not going to just impact him, but it's going to impact everyone around him. It's not apparent to those around him, known only to, to the one that has the sin, and possibly his spouse. And it's especially abhorrent to a Jew, because what was the Jewish covenant with God? What was the male's covenant with God? What did they do? They were circumcised to say that we're going to remain clean before you, Lord, and I'm going to be dedicated only to the woman that you give me, and my life's going to be set apart for her only, and I'm, I, Lord, I'm never going to stray from that. I went to a wedding on, on Sunday. Man, I love weddings, and I love to hear wedding vows, but I tell you what, I think it would be good for married couples probably to go over their wedding vows about once a month. Amen? Just as a reminder, hey, it's no longer about me anymore, it's about me and you. It's not I and me, it's us and we. My desire and my passion and my goal in life now is to serve you and to honor you and to lay down my life for you. That's who I am now. Lord, I'm giving my life completely to her. Lord, I'm called to be the spiritual leader of my household. Lord, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to esteem myself greater than her. I'm going to serve her. I'm going to honor her. Well, when the Jews were circumcised, it was a covenant between them and God to remain holy and pure. And now to have this disease was making a laughing stock of the covenant that they had with God. Just like when somebody is, cheats on their spouse, it makes a laughing stock of the marriage vows. I want to encourage you with something. And I heard somebody say this, and I thought, you know, that's true. If, if you go to a wedding, and then they later break their vows, we probably all ought to show up at the door of their house and say, you lied to me. You told me that you were going to be honorable to her. I stood there and listened to what you said. Too often today, the easiest thing to do is just quit. It's not working out. You know, the guy's a jerk. Well, you know, he doesn't treat me right. He's not, fulfill, he's not his job to fulfill your needs. Amen? That's God's job. And so we see here this hidden sin, and it's going to impact everybody around him, not just the person who's committed to sin. In Ezekiel, it says, You have also committed fornication with the Egyptians, your very fleshly neighbors, and increased your whoredoms to provoke me to anger. Do you know that God gets angry over sin? Did you know that? It's mocking God when we just sin and laugh about it. Ah, yeah, whatever, right? All that sin was placed upon our Savior, and we should never take it lightly. Verse 3, every bed is unclean, or verse 3, and this shall be the uncleanness in regard to his discharge. Whether his body runs with a discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge, it is unclean. Whether he's currently having this problem with his disease or not, the fact that it's in his body means that he is unclean. 
And temporary relief from it does not remove the sin, and it does not remove the guilt. And so he's ceremonially unclean. He's unable to worship. Now let me ask you a question. If the man had this disease, couldn't he go and try to worship anyway? Yeah. Couldn't he just go anyway and act like everything's fine? You know, I don't have any sin in my life. I'm doing just fine. My, my wife and I are doing great. We'll just show up to church and we'll just pretend like everything's wonderful. I'll go into the temple. I'll make a mockery of God. I'll disobey his word. I'll disobey his commands. It doesn't matter anyway because nobody else knows. It's just between me and her. And she's not going to say anything because it'll be embarrassing for her. So we'll just go. And too often I think that there's couples yelling and screaming at each other until they get to the parking lot and then putting the Christian face on to walk into the door. I want to encourage you with something. I'm glad you're here, because you need to be, amen? But you know what? We need to be the same people at home that we are at church. We need to love each other and lay down our lives for each other and serve each other. And this guy is banished. You cannot go. You cannot be in fellowship. You cannot be in worship because of your sin. Look at verses 4 through 7. Every bed is unclean on which he has the discharge lies. And whoever has a discharge, wherever he lays down, that bed's unclean. Everything that he sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything which he has the discharge set on may, shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So not only did this hidden secret sin break, break our fellowship with God, it also defiles every person we come into contact with. Every person. Now, guess what? This person has two choices to make. He can either just live his life and let everybody be defiled unknowingly, right? People can be touching him, going into fellowship and just touching him and not realizing he has this disease and he's defiling them. Every person that comes into his house and sits where he's set, every person that goes where he's been, every one of them can be being defiled and not know it unless this guy steps up and confesses his sin. Unless he says, you know what? I've got a disease, and here's the disease I have, and then everybody would automatically know either you or your wife has been unfaithful. That's heavy. But sin has consequences. And so the choice quite often that's made is ignore it, act like the sin isn't there, and just keep going into the temple. But guess what? The person that's going into the temple, every time that he does, he's mocking God. Every time he goes in there with that disease in his body, every time he does, he's mocking his marriage, he's mocking the Lord, he's defiling everybody he comes into contact with. You might say, well, Pastor Dave, how does this have to, what does this have to do with me? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good morals. It says in Ephesians 5, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. When we hold on to our hidden secret sin, we defile, corrupt, and stumble those around us, especially those closest to us. Who's going to be defiled the most by this guy if he keeps the secret? His wife? She's going to get the disease next. His children? They're going to touch him. Everybody around him, it's going to spread. They're all going to be defiled because he is not broken about his sin. He will not repent because of the sin in his life. Now you might say, and I'll give you some examples for today. You might say, well, yeah, I go out drinking with my buddies, but, you know, I don't take my wife and my kids with me, so I'm not having an impact on my family just because I go out and go drinking with my buddies every once in a while. Guess what? That's a lie. If you go out drinking with your buddies, you're breaking fellowship with God. If you break fellowship with God, how can you be the spiritual leader in your house? How can you minister to your kids? How can you honor the Lord in your home? 
It's not going to happen. You're not going to be out getting lit with your buddies on Friday and leading a Bible study at your house on Saturday. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be the spiritual head in your household if you're doing living like the world one day and then pretending to walk with God the very next. What if you go watch a movie? Well, I'm going to leave my kids at home, and my wife and I are going to go watch a movie that has language that curses our Savior. It's got a little bit of nudity, but you know, it's a part of the story. Um, there's ungodly themes, adultery, fornication, greed, pride, etc. But, you know, I left my kids at home. They didn't see it, so it's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't corrupt them. That's not true. Because if you're taking that garbage in, you're going to be desensitized to sin, and you're not going to have the same burden and same passion to minister to your kids and to live a godly life before your children. You don't just flip a switch and become godly when your kids show up. Amen? You know, you can pretend for a little while, but who you really are is going to show up over time. And so these are hidden sins that are, that are you know, I'll, I'll just hide it. Nobody has to know. It breaks fellowship. It keeps you from being the spiritual leader in your home. Again, it desensitizes you to sin. You know what? There's other things. Being a, a, someone who drinks secretly, someone who uses drugs or smokes pot, somebody whose real focus is being greedy for wealth, somebody who's harboring anger or resentment towards someone in their family or somebody they used to know and they're bitter and they're angry. And because of that, there's sin that's hidden in there. Thinking yourself better than others. All of those things, again, break fellowship. They blow our testimony before the world. We become ineffective in ministry. Here's a heavy, another heavy-duty thing. What about those people who are having an affair? And maybe you haven't had one physically, but you've had one in your mind with somebody at work or a neighbor that you have. That defiles your marriage. It's hidden sin, and we need to deal with it. Pornography on the Internet. It's an epidemic. I was a, the men's ministry pastor along with the youth pastor in San Jose. The number one thing that guys came up to tell me that they were struggling with when they were broken over something was pornography on the Internet. And that included guys who were leading worship for me. It included guys who had been Christians for 20 years. It included guys who you would think, no way, loves his wife. The enemy, that's a, a stronghold that the enemy has. And this is no different than what's happening in chapter 15. This is exactly the same thing. Guys, if you're in here and, you, and you're struggling with that, then you know what? You need to get glory works. You need to get some, something that's going to shield it. So that, You know what? Pastor Dave's opinion. If you're a Christian and you have the internet, you need to have glory works or integrity online. One of those things that filters all the garbage out of your house. Because I promise you, the enemy is going to be popping stuff up on your screen when you least expect it. Your children are going to be in there watching it. My, my brother helped me buy a new computer, and we had it about two days. And I had ordered GloryWorks, and we didn't have it yet, and it came with free internet. And my 10-year-old son comes walking out of the room with his eyes this big around and says, Daddy. And we go in there, and there's hardcore pornography all over the page. I wanted to pick up the computer and throw it out the window. I'd had it two days. It made me so angry. I said, until we get GloryWorks, that thing's turned off. The enemy wants to get into our houses. And you know what? This stuff is hidden sin. Nobody knows. God knows. And it is impacting your marriage, it's impacting your family, it's impacting your home, it's impacting your walk, it's impacting your testimony, and we need to deal with it. Amen? As Christians, we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. Restore me to a right relationship with you. You know what? What she doesn't know won't hurt her. I've heard, I've heard married guys say that. Yes, it will. It'll destroy the sanctity of your marriage. It causes you to be unsatisfied with the woman that God's given you. That's what pornography does. Do you know that virtually all the mass murderers, virtually all of them, I've seen interviews, I've read books, 
Virtually all of them started off with hardcore pornography problems because they begin to devalue life and life becomes less and less valuable and before you know it, women are just objects and before you know it, whatever I have to do to satisfy myself and it gets harder and harder and heavier and heavier and before you know it, they're harming women. That's what happens. This is hidden sin. Does your coming into contact with others defile them or do you draw them closer to the Lord? Are you a testimony or a stumbling block? The people you work with, do they look at you and go, man, there's something awesome about you, I want to know your God. Or do people at your work go, did you hear that guy says he's a Christian? Can you believe it? Do people say that about you? You know, that, that, girl, that gal lives two doors down, you hear how she talks to her kids, now she's screaming all the time, and got a bad attitude, she says she's a Christian. Are we stumbling blocks or testimonies? That hidden sin that's in our life, we need to bring it before the, the throne of grace and ask God for forgiveness. Verse 8. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And any saddle on which he has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries away any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. His saliva, his saddle, everything that's under him is unclean. He brings corruption everywhere he goes. Why? Because he has sin that he hasn't dealt with. He has sin in his life, that pet thing, that one thing I'm holding on to. It's like 1 Samuel 15. We're going to be looking at it Sunday or Wednesday, uh, Friday morning. Excuse me. And 1 Samuel 15, story of Saul and Agag. I think it's this week. Maybe it's the following week. But Saul and Agag, Saul's told to put all the Amalekites to, to death. And what does he do? He brings the king back. Remember that story? Agag, type of the flesh. He rid all the other Amalekites, but he brought the king back. This is the chief of the flesh. I'm hanging on to this one sin that's in my life. Well, you know what? You know, smoking a little weed just really calms me down after work. And yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's okay. No, it's not. You know the word in the Bible for sorcery is pharmakia. So it's sorcery when we get lit on alcohol. It's sorcery when we take drugs. It's sorcery, it's wrong, and it's sin, and we need to repent. Amen? Boy, in Santa Cruz, that's rocking some boats when you say that. Dude, man, it's, it's all good. No, no, it's not all good. And you're not motivated to do what God wants you to do, and we need to repent from that stuff. And whatever he touches, he brings corruption to. Verse 11. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands with water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Now what phrase do we see over and over and over when it talks about the defilement? It says, afterwards it says, must be cleansed with water, shall wash his clothes, shall bathe in water. Water in the word is a type of what? Type of the Holy Spirit and a type of what else? The Word of God. Struggling with sin, what is it that cleanses us? It's the Word of God and the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're struggling with sin, get in the Word. You're struggling with sin, cry out and ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct your life. It's interesting, this is a medical fact. It wasn't until the late 1800s that surgeons figured out that you should wash before you did surgeries. Back then, even, they believed that whoever had the bloodiest apron from the day, that guy was probably the best surgeon because he was doing the most work. And they literally would sometimes go from autopsies where they were cutting up dead people, and they go right in and start doing with the same tools, surgery on the next person. The original person who said that this stuff is defiling people, they, they thought he was nuts. They banished him out of the medical profession. They said, dude, you're crazy. Now, we all know that before surgery takes place, what do they do now? They scrub, they sterilize themselves. Why? Because they know that they'll be taking germs in that will infect 
the next person. Now, what's interesting to me is Leviticus was written 3,500 years before the doctors figured out that washing would get the germs out of the way. Isn't that amazing? Here's the Bible, and it's and and saying, you know what? If you've been touched with this disease, you've got to cleanse yourself. You need to be cleansed with water. You need to bathe in water because it will wash the germs away. Isn't it amazing how the Bible always knows way more than science? Amen? The scientists. Oh, I believe in science. So do I. God created science. He's the greatest. He's, he put the stars in the sky. He knows a little more than any, I don't care how many PhDs or what you got after your name. God knows more than you do. Amen? He created you. But it's amazing to me. Here is another example that the world, duh, and they're going to cut. Can you imagine going in and cutting up dead bodies? I mean, I'm glad they're not doing that anymore. You have an appendectomy, and they're over there doing so. This guy died of, of uh, you know, gangrene, right? And then they're cutting stuff up on him. Oh, let's take, oh, let's go. I, I need this tool for my next surgery. You know, I'm cutting on you. I got gangrene. How did that happen, right? And literally, that was happening for hundreds of years before they finally figured out, duh, we're supposed to be clean before we go. And this is 3,500 years ago is what God said. We need to be cleansed. And, and that's the, the physical picture. But the spiritual picture is that we need to be cleansed spiritually. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Ephesians 5 says, Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by what? The word of God. Psalm 51 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Washing and cleansing of our inward struggles and difficulties comes through the Word. A lack of washing, a lack of the Word, is a spreading of the infection. Again, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. If you're not spending time in God's Word, you're going to continue to struggle in your walk. It's amazing how if you get up in the morning and spend time in God's Word and spend time in prayer, how much better your walk is that day. And how if you get up on your own and try to do it in your flesh, you just walk around tripping all over yourself. We need to spend time in God's Word that the infection may not spread. Verse 12. And the vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed with water. The vessel touched by the man must be broken, so that it would not be used again. Man who touches another with the disease causes breaking. What would happen if that man touched his wife? He would cause a broken marriage, potentially. He would cause broken hearts as he spreaded the disease among his whole family. He'd be wiping them out. Husbands giving the disease to their wives. Wives giving the disease to their husbands. Promiscuity has a heavy, heavy, heavy price. Studies done about five years ago said that one out of every three adults has a, has a, a sexually transmitted disease. One out of every three single adults in this country. And then people wonder why that it's spreading like crazy. And again, the world we live in is, you know... I don't know why, I'm, I need to just take a sledgehammer to my television. But I'm flipping through the channels last night, and I can't believe what's on TV now. I'm flipping by Paradise Island or something. They bring all these single people on, and whoever can get with somebody within a week gets to stay. And there's an odd number of people, and someone gets voted. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'm, this is the, the uh, tramp show. I mean, that's what they ought to call it, right? Uh, hey, this is the, hey, who can sleep around the most with the most people show? Hey, this is the, and, and not, now not only are people not, uh, you know, hiding their hidden sin, they're bold about it. And you flip around the channels and they got all this garbage where it's just, it's just all about sexual innuendo and it's all about, and if somebody waits to be married to be with their husband or wife, you're a freak. That's the world we live in. 
We don't live in an immoral society. An immoral society means that there is right and wrong and people choose to do wrong. We live in an amoral society, which means there are no morals, and the only people that catch grief are the ones that have any morals. Amen? People view success the wrong. It's just a, it's a mess. And this is what this chapter is really all about, is how this vessel needs to be broken. And when we touch things, we bring brokenness into our homes and brokenness into our families and brokenness into our relationships. So too are there to be cleansing in the earthen vessel. There must be brokenness in us. We must be broken over our sin. Then it says, every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And it's a picture of what cleanses us. The wood is a picture of what? Cross. And the water is a picture of the Word. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the Word of God that transforms our lives. We're saved through His shed blood and we're sanctified as we spend time in His Word. We become more and more and more like Him. Here this guy is, he's a disaster. His sin is hidden, he's infecting everyone around him. Verse 13. Now we're going to see hidden sins, what it must be done to them. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, and he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, bathe his body in running water, then he shall be clean. So here what we see really is repentance. Once he's been cleansed, then he washes his body, and he makes a decision to, be, to, to clean himself. To come before God and say, I need to be cleansed. And it's interesting there that it's for seven days. Seven in the Bible is a number of what? Completion. Okay, or perfection. And we see there that he bathes himself in running water. Running water in the Bible, we saw it last chapter. Picture of what? Holy Spirit. Okay? He needs to be cleansed by the Spirit of the living God. The good news is that if we have hidden sin and we're defiling and bringing harm to our families, it's not too late. Amen? If we've blown it, if you're struggling with pornography on the internet, if you're being angry in your house and being abusive toward your wife or your kids, no matter what you're doing, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? And you can take a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. God desires to do a work in us. And so we see here that they need to be cleansed by the water. And then it says, On the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves, two young pigeons, and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. So because of this, this hidden sin that was in his life, when he finally is cleansed of it, when he finally confesses it, he must still come and make sacrifice. There must be atonement made for his sin. It's not just that the, sin goes, that the, the, the consequences of the sin go away, but the sin still must be cleansed. And by the way, I just want to say real clearly, if you're doing something and you haven't got caught, don't equate that to grace. Don't equate that to God's permission. God's grace, is what I should say, does not equal God's permission. Amen? Because you've done something and haven't got caught doesn't mean that, you're, that you don't need to repent and you don't need to become before the Lord. But sadly, most of the time, when do we finally repent? When we get caught. We'll go out and just do stuff over and over and over again, and then when we get caught in our sin, finally then we go, oh, I need to repent. Right? Oh, you know, handcuffs behind me, and I'm, I'm sitting in a jail cell. Oh, I've got to repent now, right? Beforehand, we're just doing it, and we're getting away with it. It's okay. But God desires that we come with hearts of repentance. Now we're going to look at our need for cleansing in the private aspects of life. Look at verse 16. If any man has an omission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather in which this, there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. And also when a woman lies with a man and there is an omission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Now, 
in marriage, God created sex, and it's good. In marriage. Amen? So why then are they unclean when the husband and wife come together? It says they're unclean, and they cannot go to the temple that night. They're unclean until evening. But look what it says. I find this interesting, that they must bathe in water. The Bible says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I believe this is a picture of our natural sin. Hebrews 13 says the marriage bed is undefiled. God says it's a good thing when a husband and a wife come together. God created that physical union for men and women, and it blesses God. When I was a youth pastor, I used to use a fire analogy. Fire is good in your fireplace, right? You can cook food, and it can warm your house. Fire in your drapes? bad, right? Burns the house down, destroys the neighborhood. God created sex for fulfillment between man and women, and it's a good thing in marriage. Everywhere else, it's fire in the drapes. Everywhere else, it brings destruction and causes nothing but problems. And so we see here, I found it interesting that they're unclean, but notice, I want you to see this, that at the end of 18, it doesn't say that they have to make atonement. Notice it says that they're ceremonially unclean until they're bathed in water. And then they can go back into the temple. But it doesn't say that they have to make atonement because what they're doing is not sin. It's a husband and a wife. But I find it interesting that it says that the husband and wife must be bathed in the water. I believe that's an example for us guys that we need to be bathing our homes in the Word of God. Amen? That we come together with our wives and we have a physical relationship with them, but we must also have a spiritual relationship with them. Amen? It's not just physical intimacy, but it's spiritual intimacy. It's not just hugging on my wife, but it's opening the Word with my wife. It's not just kissing my wife, it's sharing the Word with her and praying for her and ministering to her. Both of those are equally what a husband is called to do. Amen? And so that's why I see here, you see the physical intimacy and you see the cleansing all at the same time by the water, a picture, I believe, of the Word of God. Note the marriage again, relationship, bathed in water. Verse 19. If a woman has a discharge and the discharge is from her body is blood, she shall be set apart for seven days. Whoever touches her will be unclean until evening. Now, this is just talking about the monthly issue of blood that every woman, virtually all women have. Okay. Now, why do women have this every, every month? Where does it come from? Where did it originate? Garden of Eden. Thank you, Eve. Okay says in Genesis 3, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in conception, and in, your, and in pain you shall bring forth children. How many women here have, ha- have given birth to a child? Raise your hand. If it hurt, keep your hand up. Nobody put their hand down. Did you see that? You know, when, and I've been in there with my wife, and she's screaming loud. Windows are rattling, right? And, and that's one time. It's okay. What are you going to say, right? I can't help. There's nothing I can do at this point, right? She's breaking the knuckles in my hand and she's squeezing my hand. (laughs) Right? And you know what? There's pain in childbirth. And also because of the the sin nature of man, that woman goes through this monthly thing where she bleeds. And so it says here that during that time, back in those days, that she could not enter into fellowship for seven days. She could not be with her husband physically. She could not access the temple. Now, she wasn't unclean you know, to do her daily activities around her house. But it says there, all who touch her shall be unclean. Now, what does that mean? That means that when someone came near her, what did the woman have to tell him? What did she have to say? Oh, 
can't touch me. My week of impurity, stay away. What should the man with the discharge have been doing when people came near to him? Oh, stay away from me. I've got a venereal disease. Yeah, that'd be pretty popular, right? <laughs> Dude, right? I mean, so sin has consequences. We either defile and destroy everybody or we're honest about it. And everybody goes, oh, okay, well, I'm shaking my hand, right? I mean, stay away from me. And the same is true here with the woman. She either has to hide it from everybody or just, in, and just say, you know, hey, you know, it's my weekly impurity time. You just have to stay away from me. You can't touch me, right? Now it says there in verse 20, everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash her clothes, shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Whoever touches anything that she set on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Now, this was the standard impurity of, of a woman, and everything she touched would become unclean. So for seven days, because of this impurity, she couldn't go to temple, she couldn't worship, she couldn't be touch, touching anybody else. It was a time for her to withdraw from everyone because of this. Now we know that, praise God, that the Old Testament law that points to the Messiah was done away with with Christ. Amen? So we're not doing this anymore. Praise God. Amen? But... I think it shows us how we need to be transparent about our difficulties in our life. And it shows us how we need to be able to turn to our brother and sister and say, hey man, I'm going through a tough time right now. Can you pray for me? Where they would have to turn and say, you know what, I can't go to temple. Why? Well, it, it's that week. I can't go. You know, I'm going through my impurity time. I can't go. And all that goes back again to the nature of sin, the sinfulness of man, that through man's sin, he fell in the garden and now there's pain in childbirth. Now, if her husband lies with her during that time, he also would be unclean for seven days. And typically this would happen unknowingly. The times coincided together and he, uh-oh, seven days, you're unclean just like she is. Now it's interesting to me that she could not come in while she was bleeding. You know why? Because the only blood that can be in the temple is the blood of the perfect firstborn spotless lamb. Amen? The only blood that could come into that place of sacrifice had to be the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You didn't bring the blood of a defiled animal. You didn't bring the blood of a human being. Only Jesus could pay the price. And so that's why I believe that they were banished and they could not go in. Again, it doesn't say here that she was sinning or doing anything wrong because do we see any sacrifice required after this? No, she didn't do anything wrong. It was just a time that she withdrew now. But look at this part. We're almost done. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than the time of her customary impurity, or if it run, runs beyond her usual time impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be as to her as the bed of her impurity. And whoever... Whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the unrighteousness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Now, I believe that this is pointing to one of two things in the woman. Either she's ill or she too has fallen into the very same trap as the man and she's got a, a sexually transmitted disease that's causing her to bleed continually. Now, what story does this bring to mind in the Bible? What's that? Woman with an issue of blood. How long did she have it? 
12 years. You know what that meant? For 12 years, she could touch nobody. Her marriage, no doubt, over. She could not go in the temple. She could have no fellowship. She could have no relationships. She couldn't go anywhere. Anybody came near, I'm unclean. And it says in the text that she spent all of her money trying to become clean, right? All of her money went to every doctor, still not clean. I believe, looking at this text, in light of that text, it's probably that she had sinned and this came upon her. I don't know for sure. But the only reason I believe so is we're going to see that sacrifices had to be made right after this. Why would sacrifices have to be made? Because of sin. But here's what's great. What happened to the woman? How did she get healed? Jesus came walking by one day. She'd been to every doctor. None could heal her. She had lost everything. Her life was miserable. She had tried everything under the sun. She went to the psychiatrist. She went to the psychologist. She went to this doctor. She went to that doctor. She paid this person. She paid that person. She went to every worldly answer, and there was no hope. And then Jesus walked by, and she reached out, and what did she do? She touched the hem of his garment. And immediately, what happened? She was healed. You know what, guys? If you're struggling with hidden sin in your life, and you've tried to overcome it in your flesh, I'm not going to do that anymore. How does that work out? That ain't working out too good, right? I'm going to quit smoking tomorrow. That's it. I'm not smoking anymore. I'm done. Oh, right? I worked at 7-Eleven. I used to people come and tell me all that. After today, don't sell me any more cigarettes. If I come in here and beg you, don't sell me any more cigarettes. No matter what. If you see me with a cigarette, take it out of my mouth and stomp on it on the ground. I'm quitting today. Guess who's in there the next day? Well, tomorrow. I just had a rough day at work and I'm trying really hard. And see, so we see that we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own ability. The world doesn't have the answers. We can't go to the right doctor. They can't wave a magic wand. The hypnotist can't oh, take it all away. You need Jesus to touch you. Amen? Because when he cleanses you, you're not doing it in your might or your power anymore. He touches you. He transforms you. What a radical change for this woman. She could go in fellowship now. She could go and hug on her children and her family. She could be in fellowship again. She, God could use her mightily. Why? Because she reached out to him during her time of impurity. She didn't, she'd gone to the, everybody else and it didn't work. If you're here tonight and you've tried it on your own and you're struggling with something, I want to encourage you, reach out and ask the Lord to touch you and take the, the, the struggle away. Do you think he'll do it? Every time. But pastor, I've been, you know, I, I've been drinking a long time. I've been smoking pot for 20 years. I, you know, I've been struggling with the pornography thing. And, or I've been, you know, I, you know, I can't help my tongue. I'm cussing all the time. I, you know, I can't, you know what I mean? And you've got all these things and you think, well, I'm going to try my own ability. Quit trying and give it to the Lord. Quit trying to do it in your own ability, in your own strength, and in your own mind, because it's not working. We've got to get to the point where we're desperate for God, and we cry out to Him and say, Lord, touch me. And the woman touched Him, and we know that Jesus said, Who touched me? And the power went out of Him and healed her. Verse 28 through 30. But if she is cleansed of the discharge, then she shall, then they, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves and two young pigeons, and bring them to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her because the, before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. This is why, again, I believe that it was because of her sin. Why would they be making sacrifices if it just was illness? I don't think so. I think this was 
She had done something much like the man at the beginning of the chapter. These were consequences of her sin. For 12 years, she tried to heal it any other way, and she needed to be touched by Jesus. Look at verse 31. We're almost done. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness, when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. Now this last couple verses, we see the ultimate purpose of the law. First of all, it was to separate Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die. God wants to separate you from your sin. Amen? Doesn't he? Now, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what the Lord said. He wouldn't command us to do something unless he desired that we we would pursue it. Amen? Now, are we going to continue to sin as long as we carry this dead flesh around? Yes. Is that an excuse to sin? No. We should desire with our whole heart to be holy before him. I said this a few weeks ago. You know how you can tell how spiritually mature somebody is? You measure the distance between the time they sin and the time they repent. The closer you get to the Lord, the quicker that becomes. It doesn't, it's no longer weeks or months or weeks or days. It becomes minutes and then it becomes seconds. Amen? Thought comes to your mind, oh Lord, forgive me. Right? You get to that point where, man, Lord, I don't want to take one more step without walking with you and being in the center of your will. And so the whole reason for this law, it was to make sure that they were to separate the uncleanness, to keep them in a place of constant self-examination, even in the secret parts of their life. It was a form of accountability that they had to inform others of their uncleanness. If you had sinned and you blew it and you had to tell people or they were going to be defiled and they couldn't go into the temple, that was accountability. To keep them from defiling the tabernacle. So in review, hidden sin has consequences. It defiles those we come into contact with. It will render you ineffective as a spiritual leader in your house. It will render you ineffective in being a godly mom and really ministering to your kids the way God wants you to. It keeps us from a place of fellowship with God. If we have hidden sin, we break fellowship with Him. If we've broken fellowship with Him, how can we minister to others? We can't. So if we have hidden sin in our lives, we need to deal with it. It destroys our testimony before the world. Why? Because your sin will always find you out. Amen to that? Amen? There's a pastor in Seattle, I'm going to close this, there's a pastor in Seattle that was one of my favorite Bible teachers in the world. Wasn't a Calvary Chapel, I want to make that clear. Nobody started rumors about Wayne Taylor, the guy's awesome, he loves the Lord, he's walking with God, okay? But there was a church that my wife and I went to when we lived up there, and this guy was an incredible Bible teacher. And then one day I was quoting something that he wrote, and a guy came up to me in Mount Hermon after I got done teaching and said, have you heard about him? What's up? What's he up to? I go, what do you mean what's he up to? He's still in Seattle, right? He goes, oh no. He got busted in Florida for sleeping with young boys. Oh. I thought, I just, what? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I cannot believe it. Then they found out it had been going on for 15 years. Here this guy was getting up on Sunday and teaching the Bible and thousands were getting saved and the church was growing and God was doing great things and he had this hidden sin over here that he thought nobody knew about. And he would fly all the way to Florida, as far away from Seattle as he could get. But the Bible says your sin will find you out. Do you know what happened in Seattle after he did that? You know how many people were mocking God? The other people were walking away from the church? The other people left that place? Why? Because sin has consequences. And we can hide it for a while, but at some point that sin's going to come out and everybody's going to see it for what it is. Here's the good news. We can be cleansed from our hidden and secret sins. Amen? God desires that you deal with it right now and you get rid of it right now. Through a heart of repentance, through the cleansing of the Word of God, through the atoning work on the cross, 
that we may walk holy before Him and enjoy perfect fellowship with Him. Your sin may be hidden from the world, but it's not hidden from God. Amen? He knows all of our sin. Every bit of it. He that knows me best loves me most. Amen? He knows every sin and He loves you anyway. That's our God. He's not up in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting to smoke you. He wants to see you restored to right fellowship before Him. So let's pray. May, you know, we can be cleansed of it tonight if there's anybody here struggling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we do thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, just for the, the exhortation of examining our own hearts, Lord, our, that inward secret places that we think nobody else knows about. And Lord, we just want to come before you tonight and just confess to you the areas that we're struggling in. Lord, you know our sin. Even if we pretend like it's not there, you know that it's there. But Lord, I thank you that you love us anyway. And you desire to restore us to right relationships with you. And so with every head bowed, and I mean every head bowed, please, nobody looking around. If you're here tonight, and it doesn't matter, I don't need to know what it is, God knows. Whether it's sexual sin, alcohol, drugs, anger, uh, striving for money, greed, whatever it is. There's a sin in your life, and God's put it on your heart right now. The Holy Spirit's revealing it to you and saying, you know what, you need to deal with this. My encouragement to you is let's just bring it before the cross and ask God to cleanse us from our sin. And you know what? He will be faithful to do it. So if you're here tonight, I don't need to know what it is. Nobody needs to. This is between you and the Lord. If you need to get that area of your life, your life right with Him, I just want you to raise your hand, and I want to pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless all the hands around. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've seen these hands, and you know the struggles that are in their hearts, Father. Lord, I just pray for them that, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would cleanse them from their sin as they come with confessing hearts right now. And I pray, Lord, you would deliver them from the struggle that they have. Whatever it is, Lord, you know what it is. Father, help them in the power of your Holy Spirit to deliver them from it. May they not strive to do it in their flesh anymore. May it restore them to right fellowship with you. And may you use this, Father God, as an opportunity, Lord, to, to make them a better witness for you, a better example for you, to really be ministering to their family and those around them in a more effective way. And Lord, we just come before you and we cry out to you and say, Lord, we need your help. Without you, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Lord, I just pray your blessing upon each person here. Lord, just transform their lives tonight. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.